my microphone. We want to uh, just continue uh, to look to Christ, uh, to recognize our great need for him. We're going to do that, hopefully, as we look at the passage that we're looking at today and as we take communion and sing one more song together at the end. Uh, And we are starting a new five-week series. We're going to introduce the series first before we get into the passage for today. And I'll begin by probably... Uh, maybe the strangest first sentence of a sermon uh, that I've ever shared before, and that is this, we all have belly buttons, okay? It's true, right? Unless you're one of those veggie tail characters, there's a few of those that don't have a belly button, but the rest of us, we have belly buttons, and the reason I point this out is because belly buttons remind us that we didn't get here on our own, right? That we have some sort of family history. Long ago, before we ever took our first breath of earth's air, we were in our mother's womb depending on the nourishment that came to us through what is now left as a belly button. Many of us grew up knowing those mothers quite well and depending on them. Others were adopted by a different mom and didn't know that biological mom quite as well. But either way, part of who we are now comes from who we've come from. The color of our skin and our eyes, the shape of our nose, determined in part by those that we came from, along with some of our mannerisms, right? Uh, Some of the phrases that maybe our mom used or the way that we say things or the way that we laugh might come from a generation or two before us. Who we are today has shaped, has been shaped by our family history before us, correct? Right? We can all think of ways in which that is true. And so family history is important. Our family history shapes us. And for, here's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. For the next five weeks, we're going to look at our Christian family history because that too shaped us. Now, I know that we're not a super traditional kind of church. Most evangelical free churches are not all that traditional. You might be in some denomination where they talk a whole lot about church tradition and church history and all that stuff, but just because we don't talk about it often here does not mean that it has not shaped us to a great degree. And so we're probably shaped the most um, by the church of the first century. As we read about uh, in the book of Acts and in all the letters that, that people were writing in that we have now in the New Testament. We're shaped today mostly probably by that. But maybe in second place, one of the greatest times in our family history that's shaped who we are, why we do what we do, why you hear a sermon when we gather on Sunday morning, why that sermon comes from the Bible, why we sing together on Sunday morning, uh, the, the gospel that we proclaim, all of that is what it is in part because of what happened before us. And so... Today, and for the next five weeks, this is a time in which the church around the world is recognizing the 500th anniversary of what became known later as the Protestant Reformation. Okay, So so part of our family history is tied back to that. And so during this month, we're going to uh, do some things that will remind us of how we've gotten to where we are. So, October 1517, that's 500 years ago this month, today's October 1st, the Protestant Reformation was sparked when a 33-year-old monk, Roman Catholic monk, 
33 years old, named Martin Luther, had been torn apart inside and had been going repeatedly to Scripture and finding that many of the things being taught in the Roman Catholic Church were contrary to what, what he was reading in the Bible, some of what was being taught and some of their practices. And he came across all sorts of stuff that sounded like such good news to him. And so it began when he went up to the door at the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed 95 theses to the wall and said, I want to talk about this stuff. And so that's really kind of what sparked it. There was many others before him and many others that followed him, but they often turned to that as kind of the, the spark or the birthplace of what came to be known as the Protestant Reformation. Now today, it's 500 years later, and much of what happened in the Protestant Reformation was that people were opening up the Bible and discovering that there were things in Scripture that didn't line up with what was going on in the church and in the culture, and they wanted to make those things clear again. Things that had gotten clouded over or twisted in some way, they're saying, no, we need to get back to the heart of the gospel and we need to make sure people are hearing the heart of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And so here we are 500 years later, and we're still in need of this, aren't we? Aren't there ways in which the gospel of Jesus Christ gets clouded and twisted, not just in our culture, but even within the church? And so we are still reforming in many ways, not coming up with something brand new, but getting back to what is clearly taught in Scripture and that's different than what is clearly taught in our culture and in many churches. And so we're going to be doing that through this series that we're calling the Five Solas over the next few weeks. Because these are truths that we not only need to believe and know ourselves, but we need to teach them to our children and proclaim them to the lost. And so we're doing this series called the Five Solas. Um, and so these are just five key ideas. I'm not going to give you church history lessons, okay? We're not coming together for church. Some of you would love that. Some of you would not. I'm not going to give that. I'm going to use some illustrations uh, from church history sometimes, but we're going to teach the Bible, okay? So we're going to open up God's Word, and we're going to be in three different books of the Bible, First and Second Timothy and Ephesians, during these five weeks as we explore getting back to the roots of what we believe as a church. And so solas is not a word we use very often. Um, it's a Latin word for alone or only. Okay? And so there was never one reformer who used all these things and put them together. But as people looked back on the Reformation and reflected on what happened then, they said, you know, these five things were the five key ideas that got recovered during this time 500 years ago, known as the Protestant Reformation. And so we're going to go over those three. And it's the good news that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the authority of Scripture alone, and for God's glory alone. Okay? So those are the five things we're going to cover over the next few weeks. We're going to go through one passage each week, and this week we're going over 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7, through 7, covering the topic, In Christ Alone. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you might remember that Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy are both letters that the Apostle Paul, who was a missionary, who had trained in many ways this younger man, who he saw as like a spiritual son, Timothy, he had trained him, and now Timothy is leading the church in Ephesus, and it's a hard job 
for Timothy to be pastoring this church. And so Paul is writing to encourage Timothy in this time. This church that was starting to get off track. And so Paul was writing to Timothy, here's how you keep the church on track. In First and Second Timothy, here's the big idea today. In your bulletin, there's an outline, big ideas on the top there, some space to take notes and some application afterwards. Here's the big idea today. The truth for all people is that there is only one God, and Jesus is the only mediator between us and Him. Okay? That's the big idea for today. And so, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead, open to First Timothy chapter 2, and if you're able to... Please stand as we read God's Word. I'm going to read and then we'll pray. God's Word says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving clear commands in it. Would you help us to have the desire even to obey them? And God, we thank you for the good news that is in it. Especially this good news we hear today that there is only one God and one mediator between us and you. And so God, help us to delight in that good news today. And for any that are here that have not yet submitted to you, the one God, and put their faith in that one mediator, Jesus, I pray that they would hear that good news and trust in him today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and be seated. So, point number one, we're going to walk through, and then uh, as we're going to pause every once in a while, just do a little bit of application as we walk through this passage. But First Timothy chapter 2, point number one is this, we pray, we pray. We see that in verses 1 and 2 here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And it begins by a command that we pray for all people. Okay, so Paul again writing to Timothy. And he says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. All those things, we're just kind of lumping those all together in prayer. They're all a little bit unique and a a little bit different. But basically those are things that we do when we pray. So he's saying, here's what I want you to do. Church, Timothy, leader of the church, I want you as a church to lead your church into praying. And who are we praying for? According to verse 1, all people. Okay? Now, are you, are you supposed to literally pray for each and every single person on the face of the earth? No, not really possible to do that. But by all people, he's referring to all kinds of people. Don't just pray for your own kind. Okay, So if you're a Gentile Christian, you're not just praying for other Gentiles. If you're a Jewish Christian, you're not just praying for other Jewish people. We're praying for all kinds of people. Okay, 
So be praying for all people. And then in verse 2, he gets a little more specific even, and he says this. After, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions. Okay, so in addition to praying for all people, now, are kings and people in high positions included in that? Well, of course they are. But he even says, uh, specifically, I want you to be praying for people that are in high positions of authority over you. And what's the purpose of that? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Okay? So, the command is, God's people ought to be people that pray for all kinds of people. You don't just pray for your own family. You don't just pray for your own church. It's going to be, he's going to give us a reason that we pray for all people here in just a moment. But he also tells us, in addition to, or even emphasizing, praying for all people, pray especially for people that are in positions of authority. So I prayed that as I prayed here this morning. Right? And we ought to regularly pray for people in high positions of authority over us, our president and many others. And he, and he says to pray that so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we're praying for them in order that it might have some effect on us. Okay, All right, verses 3 and 4. God saves. We pray God saves. Here's some of the reason for our praying. First of all, God likes it. When we pray for all kinds of people, one of our motivations to pray for all kinds of people is God told us to do it and God likes it when we do it. Right? That should be good enough. Verse 3, it says, this is good. Pray for all kinds of people, especially those in, in kings and people in high positions. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. One of the reasons that we pray for all people and people in positions of authority is that it's good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Another reason, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay. So God is a God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So one of our motivations for praying is this reality that God desires to save all kinds of people. Right? Now, will God save all people? We're not universalists, okay? We don't believe that because of what Jesus done, boom, everybody's just in. Everybody's made right with God. So we see in many other spots in Scripture that it requires God's grace and our faith in Jesus are what's required for us to be saved. But here it says that God's desire is that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, again, we could have long conversations about this, but... You know, earlier when it says to pray for all people, th does it literally mean you have to pray for each and every single person on the face of the earth? We can't really do that. Does, does, will, will God save each and every single person on the face of the earth? No. Like, well, can't he do what he wants? If he wants all people to be saved, why doesn't he do it? Right? Is God all of a, is he not powerful enough to do it? Because if he wants all people to be saved, but not all people will be saved, then... Then, ha then what's happening there? So you might have some questions about that, and I think um, it does come to looking at the context again, and looking at how all is used in the rest of this passage. 
all kinds of people might be one way in which we could understand that. God wants us to pray for all kinds of people. Jesus gave himself pretty soon, it's going to say, as a ransom for all. Other spots in Scripture, it says he gave himself as a ransom for many, right? And so the ransom payment that Jesus paid is not a payment that's applied to every person because then every person would be saved, right? Um, And so... I would say that probably a good way to understand all in this context is all kinds of people, not each and every single person, right? God is able to do whatever he desires. So some some challenges uh, as we look at this passage, but I want to keep moving. You want to have a long discussion about that this week, just call me up. I'd love to do that. But I want to keep moving and, and, and look at some application, and that is this. We are to pray for all kinds of people because God's des- God desires to save all kinds of people. Okay, We are to pray for all kinds of people because God desires to save all kinds of people. In Timothy's day in Ephesus, there were still arguments about who God would save. Some Jewish Christians wanted Gentiles to kind of like become Jewish first and then come to Christ. It's like we do these things and we want you to do these things and then come to Christ. And Paul's saying, no, God wants all people to save. They don't need to fit into your little mold and do things your way. Gnostics at that time thought people needed like special knowledge to be saved. Paul's saying, no, just stop all that. God desires all kinds of people to be saved. So don't be picky and choosy in who you're praying for and who you're preaching the gospel to. All kinds of people, even people you don't like, people that you don't understand. All kinds of people, okay? But it was... uh, dangerous for Paul and for Timothy, who was probably kind of a timid young pastor, to say this to people because not everybody wanted to hear that. And then again, 500 years ago, at the time of the Reformation, it seemed to many that the only way, way to be made right with God was working through the Roman Catholic Church. That the only way for you to be made right with God was working through the Roman Catholic Church in some way. And so for Martin Luther and other reformers to come and proclaim something other than that, that no, it's open to all kinds of people. You don't need to go through the Roman Catholic Church in order to be saved. That was a dangerous thing to be saying. And even in our day, with a sense in many of self-interest and nationalism that can lead Christians to forget about everyone who just isn't one of us, that we can easily forget to share this message that God wants to save all kinds of people. And he's called us to pray for all kinds of people and to reach out to all kinds of people. And that might even be a dangerous thing to do in our day. But the message is for all people in all time that we ought to pray for all kinds of people because God desires all kinds of people to be saved. I don't want to spend most of our time on these last three verses. So look at verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, you kind of hear the big idea of the passage, I think, right here in verse 5. There's one God and one mediator. Okay, Really, I, I don't have to explain this passage all that much. This is pretty clear. Okay, How many gods are there? There's one God. There's one God. How many ways, how many mediators, how many different ways can we who are human and sinful connect with and have a right relationship with the one holy God? Uh, are there a lot of different ways? No, one mediator. 
Okay? One God and one mediator. One, one person to go between in order for us to be made right with God. One mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Okay? So, this is kind of narrow. It's not, well, everybody gets to make up their own truth, and everybody gets to have their own God and their own belief, and whatever you believe is true for you, then it's true, I guess, which is kind of what our culture thinks at the current time. But this is, this is more narrow. It's good news. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. So let's go ahead and go on to verse 6. We're going to get back to some application of this here in just a moment. Here we go. Verse 6. Who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus gave himself as a ransom. Here's how Jesus comes to be the mediator between us and God, that he comes to give himself as a ransom. A ransom is something that needs to be paid for people who are enslaved. And the Bible describes that all of us come into the world enslaved to sin. So we have a master And it's not a good master. And our master is sin. And we're enslaved to sin. Under, because of our sin, we are under God's just wrath. That's what we deserve. But Jesus died as a ransom payment to the Father, paying the price for our sin and taking on our punishment. Jesus was fully God and fully man. So he was the only one, the the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice and substitute for us who could pay the price for our sin in full so that we could not get what we deserve, but we get what he deserved. Okay, so Jesus is the one who gave himself as a ransom for all, for all who trust in him, which we'll find in other passages as we go through the rest of Scripture. And so this opens up the door for us. Then verse 7, for Paul particularly, he says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. It's like he, he's got to try and get across. Like, I'm, I'm serious. This is not just for Jewish people. Paul was doing a wild thing when he left Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and went to the ends of the world with this message. A lot of people questioned that in Paul's day. But he's saying, no, this is good news for all people, so I'm not going to stay planted here in Israel. He is Israel's promised Messiah, but he is the Messiah for all people. He is Lord over all people, and so I'm going to go to all people. And so that's what Paul does, going out to the Gentiles, teaching them in faith and in truth. Okay? So, application. We're going to spend a little bit of time here before we go into communion. Here's some application. The truth is the truth for all people. Okay? This is already a controversial comment. In our day, the truth is the truth for all people, but they don't all believe the good news. Okay, that's true. The truth is the truth for all people, but they don't all believe the good news. So here's what that looked like in Timothy's day. Paul needed to tell this to Timothy. One God, one mediator between God and men, it's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Timothy needed to hear that because Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus 
And Ephesus was a town steeped in the worship of many different gods. Okay? So in Ephesus, the people that Timothy was trying to reach the gospel with, they didn't believe there's only one God. They believed in lots of different gods. And so to make this claim to them, the truth is there's only one God. That was a dangerous thing to claim because idol-making was good business. Okay? Idol-making was good business. A lot of people were making their money off of people worshiping a lot of different gods. So for him to share this message, (laughs) there's only one God. That's a dangerous message to share. But it was good news because can you imagine hearing this news? All these people in Ephesus scrambling to try and satisfy all sorts of different gods. To now all of a sudden hear this good news in the church in Ephesus, hey, there's only one God and one mediator between God and men. Like, you don't have to do all this stuff you've been doing. It's already been done. One God, one mediator. Good news in Timothy's day. And fast forward then to a day when this teaching had gotten lost. 500 years ago during the time of the Reformation, there were other mediators. Right? And that's what people were being taught. There's these, these ways you get to God. Yes, Jesus is really important, but there's also this really confusing stuff about priests, like going through priests somehow in the Roman Catholic Church and, and, and going through uh, go, all sorts of stuff, right? Well, what about Mary? What role does she play in all this? Why are we praying to Mary? And why is she interceding for us? Uh, what, what's the deal with all these mediators? People just like, well, it's just what we do. They didn't have the Bible in their language. They didn't have the Bible accessible to them, so they're just like, well, that's what they told me. But what, what about when they hear the good news from somebody who's read the Bible and is willing to tell them, even though this is dangerous because of the Roman Catholic structure all built around this stuff, it's a little bit dangerous to share this truth. There's only one mediator between God and man, and it's not your priest, and it's not Mary. It's the one man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And so the Reformers would proclaim this, And that was dangerous. But again, can you imagine how good that sounded? That's why the Reformation caught on, right? This is good news. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The payment's been made. It doesn't need to be made again and again every week. He's already made the once-for-all sacrifice. Okay? And so in our day, Is it still necessary? Is it still dangerous? Is it still good news in our day? And I would say yes. The truth is the truth for all people, even though they don't all believe it. In our day, it's necessary, and it's dangerous, and it's good news. Because in our day, there are many who believe in many gods. And there's a lot of other people that believe that there's only one God, but they believe wrongly that there are many ways to get to that one God. Don't we live in that culture? That's our culture, right? We live in a everyone makes up their own way. You can can have your own truth. It's like a Burger King culture, right? Have it your way. Like whatever, whatever you believe, just believe it strongly and don't hurt other people, and we're fine. We're all happy together, right? That's our culture, Everyone gets to make up their own way. And so, so peop, a lot of people just believe, well, I'm good enough. You ask people, like, what makes you fit for heaven? 
What makes you think when you die that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus? I think some people's answer, a lot of people's answer would be, well, I'm, I'm trying really hard. I'm doing good. I'm not, I know I'm not perfect. Everybody admits that, right? I know I'm not perfect, but, I, but I'm pretty good, right? And, and so they don't even think they need a mediator. Like God is just loving and forgiving enough that he didn't need to send his son to be a mediator and a ransom payment. You're just, well, you're good enough and God's loving enough, so I think it's all going to work out, right? That's what a lot of people believe in our culture. Or maybe, maybe it's just like, well, maybe God's like in me in some way. I just need to like figure out how to tap into that. I don't need a mediator. I don't need to go through Jesus. I just need to like empty my mind and do some yoga and find little God within me somewhere. Right? That's messed up too. Because the reality is there's only one God and only one mediator between God and men. And so we don't need a, here's what people think in our culture think. They don't think they need a mediator. They don't think they need a ransom payment. Somebody who, who would die for their sin because they've been offensive to a holy God. People in our culture think we need a life coach. So they watch Joel Osteen. Right? Because he smiles at them and makes them feel better. We need, to, we need more positive thinking. Right? We just need to, we just need to think. But like, so we turn to all sorts of things because we don't realize the truth is there's only one God. And in order to have a right relationship with that one God, you need a mediator. And it's not you. There's only one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. And he came to give his life as a ransom in order that you might have a right relationship with God. So, I kind of got ahead of myself. But in our day, it is necessary and it's dangerous, right? You, you claim that? You, you tell somebody what they believe is wrong? In our day, you bigot, you intolerant bigot, you actually think that what you believe and what, the, what this old book says, you believe that's the only way, only one mediator. You believe that? So you're saying all these other people are wrong. Don't you dare say anybody's wrong. They can tell you you're wrong for believing that they're wrong, but, but they don't want you, you know what I'm saying? Right? And so that's the culture that we live in. And so do we need these Reformation principles today that salvation comes in Christ alone. They needed that in Ephesus and Timothy's day. They needed that 500 years ago. And we need it today to hear the good news. Because, yes, it's dangerous to say that. People might not like you and call you names. They did a lot worse in other days in our history. It's okay if they call you a name. You'll be all right. We want to lovingly, gently, and boldly share the good news with people. There is one way to the one God, and it's the same way for all people. And that's good news. The good news that you can have a right relationship with God, and you don't need to learn a few more yoga techniques to finally get in touch with Him. You need a mediator, one who will die for your sins. So we need this truth because the reality is that salvation hinges on Christ alone. There's only one way for you to get to God. You come in here this morning and you're feeling maybe even the weight of your sin and you're wondering, how do I, how do I make myself right with God? And it comes 
in Christ alone. That's why we're singing about him. That's why we're taking communion today. That's why I'm preaching about him. Because all of it hinges on him. Even before your own faith or before, like, it's all about Christ and what he's done. If he did not come to make himself as a ransom payment for all, we are without hope. And so it is such good news. And if you come in here this morning believing the lie that many in our culture believe, I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just like, you're just like a lot of other people. If you believe that you're going to be fit for heaven and you're going to die and go and be with him forever because you're pretty religious, sort of, and you're pretty good compared to most other people. You need to hear the truth this morning that that is a lie and that your sin not just, not just what you say and do, not, not, not breaking the law of our land, but breaking the law of God in your thoughts and in your attitudes. This disqualifies you from being in the presence of a holy God. The only thing your sin and your deeds qualify you for is to be under the wrath of God. And I know that's hard to hear, but it's the truth. And it makes the good news so much better that there is a way for you to be right with God and it's not by you trying harder to be a little bit better but it's by Jesus coming to be your ransom payment to set you free from sin. And so if you are today hearing that and and understanding and believing that for the first time, tell that to God. Confess your sin and then come and talk to somebody else about it who you know is a Christian. And if you are one, who has put your faith in Jesus and you trust in Christ alone, then one of the things that we're commanded to do in Scripture in order that we might remember that is we are to take communion, to to gather together around the bread and the cup representing the the body and the blood of Christ, our one mediator who alone is able to make us right with God. And we're reminded of that each month as we hold the bread, confessing our sin, as we take the cup, thanking God for his forgiveness.